Our litany of the practice of radical hospitality is written within your bulletin and it's on the screen. Let's read this together. Lord, make us a people of radical hospitality. Show us the strangers who need our welcome. Lord, make us a people of radical hospitality. Show us the strangers who need our welcome. Show us the hurting who need our support. Show us the lonely who need our presence. Show us the sick who need our comfort. Show us the broken who need a healing touch. Show us the seeking who need our faith. Make us a people of hospitality, O Lord. Make us more like you. Oh, God, thank you for being with us. Even when we are not at our best, you are always at your best for us. You have made us welcome in your family, even when we were not looking for a welcome from you. We pray, oh, God, that as we gather in this place, that we will know that you are on our side, that you love us, that you care about us. Invoke your spirit upon us as we gather here, and let everything that we do be pleasing to you, because this hour is about you and what we can learn from you. Help us, O oh God, to offer the best that we know how to offer, to experience the best that you have to give us, to accept it into our hearts and to let it change us and mold us to be more like your son. Come to us today, O oh God, and help us to bring our best to the one who loves us most. For it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this beautiful grace, this amazing grace, this endless, boundless grace that you give to us, and that you're always here for us, no matter what. You heal the hurts, you fix the broken, and God, we are so grateful. And so this morning, as we sit in this beautiful place and we focus on you, Please help us to quiet our hearts and minds and calm the stresses and hear the words you have for us today. God, we love you so much. We ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a lot that's going on in our church right now. This afternoon at 3 o'clock, we're going to be having a special service here at our church commemorate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We invite all of you to come and join in that. It is going to be a gathering of churches from all over our area, and I hope that we're going to have a good representation there, but it should be a very good event. I hope that you will come and be part of that. We're also kicking off our five practices for fruitful con congregations today. And uh, it, we're kicking that off not only in the sermon time, but with our, our classes that are going to be taking part. So make sure you look through the information that you have there in your hands and hope you'll want to sign up for something that's going to be going on there. Everybody that takes part in it is going to be getting one of these Cultivating Fruitfulness. It's a devotional book. It's one of the best devotional books I've ever seen. And the challenges that it has at the end of each chapter uh, are things that if we would actually do them, they'll make a huge difference, not only in our church, but in our world. And so we hope that you're going to come and take part in this and, and want to take part in all of the things that are going to be occurring here at our church. Howard Olds is a guy that I quote fairly often. He is uh, someone whose messages I always appreciated and whose ministry I always admired. Howard was the I was a United Methodist pastor for many, many years. He pastored in Louisville, Kentucky. He ended his, his career 
uh, as the pastor of the Brentwood United Methodist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He did not end his career by, by retiring. Brent, he came down with cancer just a few months after he became pastor of that church. Stayed there for eight years while taking treatments. Grew the church immensely. He was an individual who really had strong talents and he was certainly a very good storyteller who it ended his life in a, in a very sad way at a very sad time, but he was a very fine minister. Howard was a storyteller like a lot of us who are in the ministry are. He used to tell a story about something that happened in the very large church that he pastored in Louisville, Kentucky. There were two older women who were visiting that church. They weren't coming together. They just happened to be coming at the same time. But what the two of them had in common was that they had been attending that church for three weeks and absolutely no one had spoken to them. No one had welcomed them at all. One of the women had decided that she liked the, the, the preaching and she enjoyed the music, so she was going to give it one more chance. But if nobody spoke to her that week, she was going to be gone. The other woman said, I'm going back to that church one more time, and if nobody speaks to me, I'm going to speak to them. The next Sunday morning, they went to church, and it just happened that they sat beside each other. It wasn't planned at all. When the greeting time came, people were speaking to each other all over the church. Absolutely nobody spoke to these two women that they didn't know. The first woman said, that's it, I'm going to leave. But just as she started to leave, this other woman turned to her and she said, good morning. It's, I'm glad to see you. My name's Agnes. What's your name? So the first woman was thrilled, and they, they visited with each other. They got acquainted. They both stayed in the church. They both joined the church. They both became friends. They both became good church members. Months after they had joined the church, they were sharing their stories one day. That's when they discovered that they both had the same experience and they discovered what had happened and how this woman had spoken to them. They had a good laugh about it, but then they decided that their pastor needed to know about that. So they went to Howard and they said, we've enjoyed being here and we really like this church, but we've got a problem in this church. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for each other because absolutely nobody else welcomed us or spoke to us in four weeks that we were here at this church. We've got to do something about that. Howard got up the next Sunday morning and he told that story without identifying the women. Agnes was an extrovert, so she looked over and she just yelled out, it was me, I'm the one that did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then Howard went on and he said, some of you have been asking me why our church wasn't growing faster. And I had been wondering that myself. I didn't have an answer for that. It's the first church that I pastored that didn't grow fast. Now I know why, what our problem is. If you want our church to be a growing church, you've got to learn how to be a friendly church. You've got to speak to people. You've got to welcome people who have come here. You've got to invite people. You, if you visited a church for four weeks and absolutely nobody said hello to you at all, would you come back and join that church? Howard said, I can't make this church a friendly, outgoing church. You are the only ones who can do that. And you need to, do, to realize hospitality is the key ingredient for reaching people for Jesus and for living as a Christian person. So we either need to do this or we need to appoint a team right now who will start deciding how we're going to close our church because you can't be a Christian and be unfriendly, unconcerned, and unwelcoming. Those three things can't happen if you're going to represent Jesus. 
Howard said that was a light switch moment for that church that morning. He said even during the greeting time that day, people got up and started looking for strangers to speak to. said people started fanning out in the church every Sunday morning and they would look for people that they didn't know and they would speak to them as soon as they did. said his people started inviting other people to come to church with them and they would invite their friends, they would invite their neighbors and when they did, that church started growing and had the largest year of growth that it had had in years and it totally changed the atmosphere of the church. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Robert Shanace is the author of the study that we've been doing and, and he's got a very good definition of radical hospitality. He says, Christian hospitality is the active desire to invite, welcome, receive, and care for those who are strangers so that they can find a spiritual home and discover for themselves the unending richness of the life of Christ. He goes on to give a definition of radical. He says radical means something that is drastically different. It's outside the norm. It exceeds expectations. If you put those two together, you have radical hospitality. It means to do as much as you can to invite and welcome people to Jesus. It means to pray, plan, and work to invite people and to make them feel welcome and to support them in their faith once they get there. Let mutual love continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Radical hospitality in the Christian church is more than having a tea party. It's more than having friendly greeters at the front door. It's more than having a, a parking team that goes out and welcomes people in the parking lot. Radical hospitality is a spiritual discipline. It's a moral obligation for every person in the world who calls themselves a Christian. It's Excuse me. It's just as important as prayer. It's just as important as Bible study. It's just as important as worship. In fact, I'll take it even a step further than that. Radical Christian hospitality is what separates the sheep from the goats in the kingdom of God. The scripture that we are looking at today is Matthew 25, 31 through 45. Mandy's going to read this for us this morning. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. 
I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. This particular parable that Mandy has just read to you, this is the most vivid parable that Jesus ever spoke while he was working here on earth. And the teaching of this lesson is as clear as it can possibly be. God will judge us according to our Christian hospitality. It won't matter how much we know when we get to the end of our lives. It won't matter how many verses of Scripture we've memorized. It won't matter how many Christian books we've read or how many spiritual growth retreats that we've gone to in our lives. According to Jesus, according to this power, the only thing that is going to matter to God on Judgment Day is did we live what we said we believed? Did we live our faith in Jesus Christ? Did we let him live through our hearts to the world around us? Did we accept him into our lives and did we let it reshape us from the inside out so that we saw the world as a world that needs the faith that we have discovered? Did we live what we said we believed? Did we show radical hospitality in the simple things in life? Did we give a hungry person a meal? Did we give a thirsty person a drink of water? Did we give needy people clothes to wear? Did we show hospitality to a total stranger? Did we visit the sick? Did we visit those who are in prison? Did we try to love people that, was the e that would be the easiest to overlook? Did we try to love people who were poorer than we are? Did we try to love people who were richer than we are? God isn't going to ask us how much money did our church give to missions last year. And he's not going to ask us what political party we supported and, and who we supported in the presidential race. What he's going to ask us is, did you show radical Christian hospitality to people you met every day? Did you show hospitality in the circumstances that you ran into all of the time in your lives. Separating the sheep from the goats isn't about what we plan to do. It's about what comes natural to us because we believe in Jesus. Don't miss, it starts with Jesus. It starts with our faith in him. It starts with having him in our hearts and in our souls. It starts by making him part of our lives. But it's not enough just to say we believe in Jesus. It's to make Jesus part of our lives and then to live out our faith as naturally as we live out anything else that we do. Do we love people that no one else wants to love? Do we welcome people to church that nobody else wants to welcome? Do we care about the stranger who's here at church for the very first time? Do we care that they are nervous when they come here? Do we care that they're not sure where to go? Do we care that they may feel self-conscious? Do we care that they're afraid of, of, of somebody not wanting to be with them or not wanting to sit with them because their children may be fussy or because their clothes may not be as nice as what other people are wearing or because they may have tattoos all over them or they may have piercings in their faces. Do we care that they're wondering if anybody is going to want to be near them? 
Jesus wants to be near them. And if he lives in us, we need to make them feel as welcome as we can. The big mission projects that we do in this church are vitally important. I am glad that we do them. I want to see us doing more of them. We already do more than a lot of churches like ours. And I hope that we're going to do more of them down the way. But God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, not according to the big mission projects that we decide to do together, but by how we live our faith in the routine of life. Do we go out of our way to show radical hospitality at 10.05 on Tuesday morning in the shopping aisle at Target? Back probably seven or eight years ago, one of our church members was buying groceries when she saw this woman standing there in the aisle and she was crying. There were people standing all around her. Absolutely no one was asking her if she was all right. So Cassie went over to her and she asked her if she was okay. And when she did, the woman told Cassie that her husband had left her a few weeks before and he had sent not one cent to help her with the family since she left. She needed to buy food for her children and she didn't have the money to do it and she was struggling to figure out how she was going to be able to to pay for the groceries that she needed there. Cassie's husband was a student at VCOM at the time. They didn't have a whole lot of money either. But Cassie took that woman by the hand and she said, before we do anything else, let's pray together. And so right there in the aisle of the grocery store with people standing all around them, Cassie prayed for that woman and for her kids. And then she put feet to her prayer. She looked at Cassie and she said, now let's look at your list and let's get what you need. And so Cassie and that woman went up and down the aisles of the grocery store and she got everything that that woman had on her list. And then Cassie went up front and she paid for that woman's groceries. And then Cassie gave that woman her phone number and she asked for the woman's phone number and she invited that woman and her children to come to church. And then she said to her, I don't go to a perfect church. There's not one of those, but I can promise you this. You'll be welcome at our church and our church will take care of you. You have no idea how thrilling it is to a pastor to know that a church member can say that to someone that they meet, a total stranger, and know that it's going to happen without even talking to the pastor, without talking to any staff member. She knew that her church would step up and help take care of these people. She didn't have to ask anybody about that. It was one of the most uplifting moments that I've ever had. What Cassie did in that store that day, that is radical hospitality. When our time comes to stand with the Lord, some of us are going to look at the Lord and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And the Lord's going to say, when you helped that person in the grocery store aisle that day, you were helping me. When you changed the tire for that elderly woman, you were changing that tire for me. When you changed the, the, the life of the person that was in need, the stranger that needed to be welcomed, you were welcoming me. When you sat with that woman whose husband was dying, you were, you were sitting with me. When, when you hosted that group in your house that brought that family in, who, who they weren't comfortable yet going down to church on Main, but they were comfortable in your house, you were hosting me. Me that day when you took care of that single mom and her children you were taking care of me when you welcomed that stranger who needed a friend you were welcoming me radical Christian hospitality is an intentional attitude 
It doesn't have any boundaries. It, 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 it's spontaneous. It, it's extravagant. And it's always good. Why? Because radical hospitality is an action. It's agape love. I've said this a thousand times in the years that I've been here. But agape love is God's love in action. It's, it's very similar to the word praxis. The book of Acts in Greek, the title of that book is praxis. It, it means literally to put into practice. It means to embody what we believe. It means to engage in what's right for the right reasons. The Christian church actually invented the word agape because they needed a word for love that was more than an emotion. Agape meant to put something into practice because God's love demanded it. It wasn't about how we felt. It was about doing what was right. It meant to do something good without asking what's in it for me. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, <clears throat> Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's agape. That's praxis. There's an old story that's purported to be a true story about President Thomas Jefferson. One day Jefferson and several of his aides were out riding a horseback down a dirt road. They came to the Potomac River. There was a man who was standing there at the river. This man wanted to cross the river, but he was afraid to try to do it on foot. And so he asked President Jefferson if he would give him a ride to the other side. So President Jefferson pulled the man up on the back of his horse, and then they crossed over the shallows of the river to get to the other side. When they got to the other side, the man thanked President Jefferson. President Jefferson looked at him and said, you're welcome. Then he rode on off. When he did, two of his aides jumped off their horse and they went to the man and they said, how dare you ask the President of the United States for a ride across a river? And when they did, the man said, I didn't know he was the President of the United States. All I know is that some people have a yes face and some people have a no face. President Jefferson had a yes face, so I asked him for a ride, and he said yes. From the parking lot, to the pew, to the fellowship hall, to the classrooms upstairs, to our own living rooms, I want our church to be a church that, are, that is full of yes faces. I want people to come in here, and they see the yes of heaven on every face, because Jesus Christ is alive in our souls, and he creates the yes that we are to be to the world. I want everybody who comes to this place to be excessively welcomed to our church. We can't change people. We don't have the power to do that, but we can do the right things by the people that are coming in. We can't change people any more than we can make a plant grow out in the yard, but some things that we can do is we can get the weeds and the stones out of the way so it can have the very best chance of growing that it can possibly have. That's our job in this church. Radical hospitality is love in action, and nobody can create that but us. I want us to create the kind of hospitality that works against the fear that the world is experiencing right now. I want it to work against the division that we're seeing in our society right now. I want this to be a safe place for, for, for the strangers that would come our way or the ones that can't find a place anywhere else that will welcome them. And I want this to be a place that looks for ways to become a channel of change to the world because God's change can truly honestly be the difference in life and death. 
Dr. Bob Goodrich was the pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Dallas, Texas, when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. One thing that the nation never fully recognized was how horrified Dallas was that the president had been killed in their streets. They, they were broken and they were embarrassed by that event. Sunday after President Kennedy was killed, Dr. Goodrich went to the pulpit. He had tears in his eyes and he said, I discovered this week that Lee Harvey Oswald lived three blocks from our church. But as far as I can tell, none of us invited the Oswalds to church. None of us spoke to them in the grocery store. None of us tried to show the Oswalds the love of Jesus. None of us saw the Oswalds at all. He said, Lee Harvey Oswald made the choice himself to kill our president, but I can't help but wonder, would our president be alive? Would Officer Tippett be alive this morning if our church had done better by Jesus? If your pastor had done better by Jesus? If we all had done better for Jesus to the Oswalds? After I constructed this sermon, I discovered something else. That church went out of its way to try to reach out to Marina Oswald after that sermon that morning. They took food to her house and they took things to her children. And they tried to make sure that she understood that they didn't hate her because of the terrible choice that her husband had made. She didn't respond very well to it because she was foreign and she was from Russia and she was scared and she was afraid of being deported and she knew that most of the country was mad at her and, and, and she just didn't know how to respond. But at least the church tried to make sure that that one that would have been easy to overlook, easy to turn their back on, that she was loved in the name of Jesus. If we want a safer, better, less divided, more godly, more hospitable country to live in, we need to begin by seeing the church as God's hospitality center. And we need to take that hospitality further into the world than our own church parking lot. We need to take it intentionally to the world that's around us. We need to make sure that Christian, Christian hospitality can not only mean the difference in life and death, but it can mean the difference in eternal life and death, and we have the answer for all of that. Our God is offering us the hospitality of His grace today, and that grace is what reshapes us from the inside out. We suddenly discover that we who were strangers to the kingdom and strangers to the Savior, we are the ones who are welcomed as part of the family. We are being welcomed by the Lord even when we didn't know that we needed a welcome. That grace can change everything in our lives, and it can change the world as well. So what I'm asking everybody here to do is choose life today. Let's become the life of Jesus to God's world. Let's accept that life and let's give it away. And let's become these words to everybody who would come to us. You are welcome here. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to be with us as we come to this place today.
I ask you to help us to be able to look into our own souls and to realize what might be missing there. It's easy for us to think that we are the masters of our own fate, but the cold-hearted reality is you are the ones who own us because we are your children. You created us and you gave us life. And so I pray, O oh Lord, that we'll have the, have the will and the desire to look to you and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. Come into my life and, and, and live in me so that I can become more like you and, and live through me so that I can show your grace and your love to the world around me. Help me to be a person of hospitality and help me to, to, to do the best that I know how to do to not only cherish your spirit living within me, but to want to share that spirit to those around me. We live in a world that feels increasingly isolated and unwelcome. Help us to be the ones who will show the world that they are welcome with you and they are welcome with us. Make it so, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name I pray. Amen. If you've come here today and you have decided to give your life to Jesus, let me know. Let any of our deacons know. They are all wearing tags that you can speak to. We'll be happy to help you with the next steps. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you're not sure how, come and tell us and we'll be happy to help you with that as well. If you want to join our church and be on mission with us, we'd like to have you. Just let us know and we'll make sure that you're included. As we leave this building, we are going into a world that seems to be increasingly fearful and increasingly alone. Let's do all that we can to make sure that we are an answer to the problems that we see in the world and let's let Jesus live through us because it's all about him. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.